Welcome again to South Lansing Christian Church. My name is Walter, and you cannot possibly be as bad as, at those motions as I am. So the kids will be up here every fifth Sunday, so four times this year. Uh, so give it a try. Do some motions with us, because again, uh, I saw some of you recording. Just don't record me, please. Hey, we are four weeks into our series on giving up, uh, which is, you know, convenient timing with, uh, with all the New Year's resolutions and uh, all the talk of, of making new goals and sticking to them. And, uh, and so today's a final sermon in our Give Up series. Next week, we're going to go, we're going to jump into a new series called Go, and it's going to, again, accompany the reading that we're doing, um, but it's a totally different topic, and it's about how Jesus sends us out. So for this month, we've been talking about how Jesus calls us to follow him, and next month it's all about how we're sent out. And I've been thinking about the, giving, the idea of giving up recently. Why is it so easy for us to give up some things? Why is it so hard for us to give up others? And finally, why does God call us to give up things in the first place? Because I don't necessarily like giving up the things that I like. Take something like bacon. Bacon. Yeah, for those of you, you know, with apologies to the vegans in the room, I, I, uh, I would say that bacon is the height of culinary achievement. You know, you take a, a fairly unpalatable part of the pig and you drop it in the pan. After you cure it for a while, it goes and it comes out of the griddle and it is amazing. All on its own, it's just this amazing, delectable food and you can cook it however you want. You know, you can put it on a cookie sheet in the oven, you can cook it over the fire. It doesn't matter. Bacon is incredible. And I'm I'm not talking about the fake bacon flavor stuff because that stuff's terrible. That's nasty. But actual bacon is a masterpiece and it's so good and yet bacon has some less than good effects on our health, you know? And some of us are in the or are at the point in our lives where maybe we should consider changing the things that we eat and put into our bodies. But it's so hard to do that. And so when the doctor says, hey, you know, uh, for your high cholesterol, your blood pressure, or whatever else, you need to consider changing your diet, man, it seems like an impossible goal. How can I give up all these foods I love? How can I give up bacon? Bacon. I, I think I love bacon almost as much as I love trees. Why Why is it so hard to give up the things that we love? That's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, because in this morning's passage from Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his followers to give up their entire lives. He makes the biggest ask on them that he, he possibly can. And so Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Now, in my opinion, what we're able to give up and what we hold on to tightly, it, it, it tells us something about the state of our hearts. You know, we cling to the things that matter most. Things like family and, and our faith and our friendships. Those are good things that we cling to. And then there are some more neutral things that we cling to. Our possessions, our finances, our position at work, our dreams for the future. These are the kinds of things that, you know, they, they can be fine and they also can be a distraction. We hold on to tightly to all kinds of things. Some good, some bad, many things just neutral but that very act of holding on to things, it affects who we are, and it affects our relationship with God. And that's because of this. We all have this tendency to put things, created things, in the place of the creator. The Bible has a word for that. It's idolatry, and 
you know, to us sitting in this room, that might feel like something foreign, idolatry, worshiping a carved image or a stone statue. And yet, where do you spend the majority of your thought life? When you're at work, but you're thinking about something else, something at home, something else somewhere, what is it that your mind is going to? When you are supposed to be reading for school and your, your eyes are just going over the page and your, your mind is, is, is in a completely different location, where is that location? Because what your mind mulls over and turns over and over and comes back to time and time again, that's likely something that's important to you, if not the most important to you. And I think, and this might sound impossible or maybe unrealistic, but I think that for those of us who follow Jesus, that our minds should slowly leave and set aside the things of this world, and what should become most important to us is is God and his kingdom. Reflecting on who God is and what he's done, putting our energy and our effort into, into building up God's kingdom, being like the psalmist from Psalm 1, when we talked about trees, who said, reflecting on the law of the Lord day and night. That's where our energy should be expended, building up God's kingdom, kingdom outposts, and going out into the world and inviting others in, and that's where our finances should be. But again, how do you do that when the cares of this world seem urgent and overwhelming and pressing, and the concerns of God's kingdom, they're important, we know, but they seem like they, they aren't all that urgent. They can be set aside. Well, Matthew 16, I think, speaks to that, and as we read, we're going to find out what Jesus asks us to give up. So Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. We in the church have a habit of of speaking some Christianese from time to time. We say things like, count it all joy. And that's a noble saying and it's scriptural, but have you ever tried to count it all joy when you face trials and troubles and persecution? It's easier said than done. We say things like, oh, just just give it to God. Just give it to God. And I have to wonder, what do you mean when you say that? How does one give it to God and what does it look like after that? Or we have a habit of saying things like, Everyone's got their own cross to bear. And when we make statements like these, you know, we're expressing some scriptural truth and some core foundations to our lives. And at the same time, when we make statements like these, it's easy to trivialize our faith and the experiences of others. I mean, think about the times when you've said everyone has their own cross to bear. Maybe you were thinking of a troublesome boss at your workplace. Maybe you were thinking of you know, something difficult going on in your, your relationships, or maybe you were thinking of a, a personal illness. And don't get me wrong, those are all tricky parts of our lives, and, and God cares about those places and places in which we need to seek God's will. But then consider the disciples who heard this. Con- consider what they heard when, they, when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. When the disciples heard this, they thought of literal crosses, actual crosses. You know, these were people who had seen convicts sentenced to die, pick up their cross, their method of execution, haul it out, and then be executed in the most horrific, memorable way possible. 
a way that was designed to leave an impression. And so to the disciples, a cross wasn't just an annoyance about life or some irritation. It wasn't even a crisis or an intense personal struggle that they may have been facing. To the disciples, Jesus is telling them to pick up their metaphorical method of execution as they forfeited their lives. It was a call to give up everything and come follow Jesus. And and on top of that, think about who Jesus is talking to. He's looking at disciples who are already following him, and he looks at them and he says, hey, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. He's looking at people who are already pursuing, following after Jesus, and he's telling them, hey, it takes more, more than you thought you had to give. And so if Jesus is talking to followers at this point, telling them, take up your cross, then I think those of us who are in this room who are followers of Jesus should pay attention. Verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The high school youth group of my, my church, my home church when I was growing up, we would, we would always go out to the woods every year for a retreat with our, our associate minister. Um, and the highlight of this retreat, the core activity, was we'd be out in the woods, we'd be in a cabin, and then during the day we would go rock repelling. And if you've ever been rock repelling, you'll know you get all harnessed up and, uh, and then you head over the edge of a cliff. And so it's kind of terrifying, but it's a lot of fun. And, and all the students would eventually do it. And most of the adults, we'd, we'd repel down this 60-foot cliff. And in rock repelling, at least as a teenager, there's a, there's a sense of giving up some amount of control. Because once you get the harness on and you get hooked into the rope, there's always a person at the bottom of the cliff called the belayer who's standing there, and and at any time they can pull down on that rope, and it will stop your descent. And so you're not completely in control. And then, additionally, as you approach the cliff, you don't approach the cliff and look over this way and then go down. You have to approach the 60-foot cliff backwards. And so you're teetering there on the edge, looking over, deciding if you're going to trust this person and give up some control. Now those who try to take matters into their own hands, they might lock up their legs or, or freak out or take a step backwards, and they'll bump down the cliff a little bit, you know, a couple feet. They're not going to fall all the way down because the belayer is going to stop them. Uh, but they, they might have they might have retained some control in the moment, saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this, I'm in charge of my person, and, you know, tried to go over the cliff on their own, but they certainly didn't have any fun, and they probably got bruised up in, <laughs> at the same time. But if you choose to trust your equipment, and if you choose to trust the belayer, you give up a little bit of control, and you get to the edge of the cliff, and you lean back, and you trust the person who hooked up the rope and who helped you get into your harness, and Man, you have a blast. And so every year, once we students remember this, the first trip down was always terrifying. But after that, we'd go back up to the cliff, you know, the top of the cliff, we'd race up, and we'd go down over and over and over again. And, and we'd even get to the point where we'd go down upside down, or we'd, you know, bounce off the cliff on the way down for fun. And we had the time of our lives. But there was always that moment for every single one of us where we had to choose, am I going to trust Am I going to give up some of this control to experience the incredible fullness that 
that rock repelling had to give us. And, you know, following Jesus is just like that. You have to give up things. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If you had the option to live as a, a billionaire, right, having all of your desires and your wants and, and all of your resources immediately fulfilled, but the trade-off was that, you know, that was your life now, but in the future you were cut off from God for eternity, would you, would you take that? Sometimes this present life becomes all we can see. And, and our culture obsesses over those who have wealth, who have it all, and our attention is drawn to those with names like Bezos or Musk or, or Gates, and, and we think about them and we hold them up as inspirations and we talk about them in our leadership classes and in university, and, and we can find ourselves wanting to become like them and to have what they have. But what is a hundred years of unimaginable wealth in the face of an unimaginable eternity apart from God? As Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You know, too many of us are chasing after that small section of our entire lives. Our lives start in this world and they extend on into eternity. In a hundred years here, 70, 80, 90 years, however long we have, is just an incredibly small part of that. But we get confused and we get distracted by the things of this world and we seek power and influence and wealth. And Jesus is pretty clear, none of that is, is worth pursuing in the face of a life lived out away from your creator and his people forever. You know, this calls to mind Paul's words to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 6, verse 6. Sorry, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. I got 2 Timothy, and there is no 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving after money, have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. As Paul says at the beginning of this, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Okay, let's finish up this section of Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now Jesus wraps up this discussion of, of giving up ourselves and, and gaining eternal life with God by talking about the future. When Jesus comes back and he judges the living and the dead, when life as we know it is over now, and honestly, that is something that if you are a member of God's family, it should be exciting to you, something that you look forward to, 
something that's going to be glorious and incredible as, as you get to step into what's next. And so we say with Christians, with God's people throughout the centuries, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, though, following Jesus is no joke, right? And as we've journeyed through this series, we've looked at the things that Jesus calls us to give up, things that on their own can be neutral or or even good, right? Things like our jobs, things like our finances, our our desire for control and self-determination, our expectations. And finally now, to sum it all up, here in Matthew 16, we find that followers of Jesus give up their very lives. We give up our lives. Okay, so what does that look like on a practical level? Because it's one thing to talk about it, and it's, it's another to practice it, right? Are we all supposed to drop out of school and work and create a commune in the woods somewhere and, uh, you know, quit? And do I have to give up bacon? Hmm, I don't know about that. So maybe and maybe not. Here's the thing. Yes, I should probably eat less bacon. Thanks, Carl. No, we don't all have to go live in a commune somewhere, a commune somewhere. And that's because if you're a follower of Jesus, the church is a kingdom outpost. This is God's kingdom breaking into the world. And this is your commune. These church people are your people, whether you realize it or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a religious nut And you are in this thing with us, right? We gather together to worship Jesus, to do good work in his name, to benefit our people and our community. And so when you and I give up our lives to the lordship of Jesus, we we place ownership of ourselves and everything that we are under his authority, Right? Our stuff transfers to Jesus. Our possessions are no longer our our own, you know, I often hear Wally talk about God's truck, God's truck. And I'm not sure if that's because the only way that truck is still running is by the power of God. Because if you've seen it, it smokes a little bit. But, but realistically, Wally talks about God's truck because he understands that he's the steward of this truck, but God owns it. And so if your vehicle is broken or you need something hauled, Wally and God's truck will probably show up. And that's the way it works with with life. When we follow Jesus, we're giving up ourselves and everything we own to him. And so our possessions are no longer our own. Our finances are no longer our own. Our energy is no longer our own. My thoughts are no longer my own. And I realize that some of us are farther along in this process than others. And yet I I realize, I, I also believe that all of us have steps we can take. And so So if you're looking for ways to further give up your life to Jesus, here are a couple ideas. Number one, give up your life by handing over your thought life. Handing over your thought life. Has your mind been focusing more and more on the things of this world? When your thoughts wander, do they they end up on a project that you're working on or an object that you want to acquire? Well, then take conscious steps to give your thought life over to Jesus. And maybe that looks like, you know, starting each morning by reading Scripture and letting that set the tone for your day. And you can do that by joining with our church advertisement here in the current Bible reading plan that we're doing. But you can also do that by journaling and praying at the end of the day and reflecting on what God has done. 
You can turn over your thoughts to God by, by beginning to observe the ancient Christian practice of fasting, which allows us to submit our desires to God in, in order to, f- to focus on him and his kingdom. Maybe you need to turn over your thoughts to God by memorizing scripture, right? Reflecting on God's law day and night. And so when's the last time you learned a new verse? When's the last time you let God's word infuse your mind? If you've been too dialed into the concerns of this world, then maybe it's time to take a step to give up your life by giving your thought life over to Jesus. And maybe that's, that's an area that you're already succeeding in. And so try this one. Give up your life by offering your energy to God and his kingdom. And again, I'm not saying that you need to spend all of your time here at this church, but I think it's pretty clear that when Jesus talks to his disciples, his followers, he claims authority over all aspects of their life, and that includes energy. It includes our vitality, the things that we're doing. And so maybe, maybe for you it just means stopping to, to talk to one of our Lansing regulars that are often at the corner of Edgewood and Cedar or Mount Hope in Pennsylvania and and seeing if there's a way that you can offer assistance. Maybe it's helping to maintain the church grounds. You know, it's beautiful and snowy, but surprisingly enough, the grass will grow in a couple months. And, and our guy, Mark, who mowed faithfully all last year, has moved to Florida. And so we need somebody who can mow in straight lines, who would come and volunteer here and mow on a regular basis. Maybe one or two or three of you guys who can, in, who can share the load. Maybe it's helping to, to maintain the facilities here, but it could also be serving a needy resident in your neighborhood. It could be offering to visit one of our, our church members who's shut in or in the hospital or offering a ride to someone who needs it. I, I don't know what it is specifically, but, but give up your energy and your vitality to God and his kingdom as Colossians 3.17 says, and we've read this a few times this year, Whatever you do or say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So give up your thoughts, give up your energy, and then finally, and this one for some of us is difficult, give up your life by handing over your possessions, handing over your possessions to God and his kingdom. We touched on financial picture a little bit last week. Are you using that money that God has entrusted you with to bless others in his kingdom are you being a good steward? But also, what's your home look like? And what, when, when was the last time that you practiced hospitality? That you invited some of your brothers and sisters from this church in and, and shared with them and got to know them and used your home, your personal space, I know it's a little uncomfortable, your personal space as a kingdom outpost? What about your vehicles? Have they been used in service to God? What about your tools and your other possessions? When's the last time you used them, you offered them up along with your expertise to accomplish something in the name of Jesus? Our thoughts, our energy, our possessions, these are areas in which we can choose on a daily basis to give up our lives to Jesus. And the thing that you're going to find as you slowly turn over more and more to him is that that Jesus keeps asking for more and more. Just look at these disciples who thought they were following Jesus already and Jesus comes along and says, hey, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus always asks us 
to step up to the next level. As Frank said multiple times here at church, you're either growing or you're dying. There ain't no third direction. You're either growing or you're dying. What are you doing to give up your life on a daily basis to Jesus, to submit your desires to the desires of your Lord and your Savior? And so what's one thing that you can turn over to God this week? Don't let today be a hypothetical sermon where we talked about bacon. Don't let this just be a moment where you hear this and you read God's word and then you head out of these doors into your regular life. Choose to give something up. And if you're not sure where to begin this week, maybe it's because you've never taken that first step. Maybe you haven't submitted your will to the will of Christ and maybe you haven't been obedient in the waters of baptism and if that's you I'd encourage you as we respond in the next section of our service to find someone in the room a leader, someone with a blue lanyard someone who can talk to you about what that looks like because today could be that day so if that's you, have that conversation but for all of us, refuse to fall into the idolatry of this world Refuse to to worship the created thing rather than the creator. And instead, follow Jesus and forfeit your life to him. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you. and Father, we know, we know you know that we are often distracted and that we get our priorities backwards and that sometimes the things of this world become our primary concern and and yet God we know that you offer grace and you understand us and you love us just as we are and so Father we thank you for that we thank you for your patience with us Father I pray that that each of us in this room who've been here today who've heard this message that we would be we would be motivated to take steps hand over more and more of ourselves to you to to not try to selfishly hold things back or, or maintain control in that Jesus that we would give up our lives and follow you Father I look forward to that future when when your son comes back and when we get to celebrate uh, step into eternity with our loved ones and with people of faith people of of your church that have have lived throughout the ages. God, that'll be an incredible day. And so as we look forward to that day, God, help us to submit to your will. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we get a chance now, like every week, to to respond, to remember that, that Jesus actually did face the cross. That he was executed for you and for me and that because of his sacrifice we're made right before God. And so those of us who've come to Jesus and and made him the Lord of our life, we now have a future and a hope that extends far beyond the things of this world. And so as as we worship through song, as we worship through giving back, we also have this time to worship by celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is one of these things that unifies us, it centers us, it reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice. And so this morning as we sing, I'd encourage you to come with a family member, with a small group member, and and share.
And that juice that reminds us that Jesus' blood was spilled for us. And that, that bread that reminds us that his body was broken for us. And as you do so, worship your King, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you stand and join us?